Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street, horror for the casually obsessed. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week, we are continuing our familial horrors with Bob Balaban's 1989 Parents. Yeah, we've actually talked about uh, Bob Balaban movies before. We previously, years ago, covered My Boyfriend's Back, which, you know, fitting with last week's hour-long conversation about camp and kitsch, My Boyfriend's Back, definitely more in the camp category. Parents, on the other hand... Pure pure kitsch. Yeah, Yeah. definitely more kitsch than camp. Still camp? Yeah, kitsch nightmare. Gordon Ramsay's (laughs) kitsch nightmare. (laughs) I would like a shirt in the kitchen nightmares font that just says, hang on, I'm writing this down. I'm putting it in our store right now. (laughs) We're talking about parents directed by Bob Did we do our names? We did. Okay. Kim's drunk. She she had a mocktail this afternoon and somehow drunk. I'm over a cold, so I, I and it's like nice and sunny out. I feel like a new person. Yeah, I have a bunch of like energy. I need to get out. <laughs> so I'm steering the ship this week. Uh, if you haven't heard of parents, if you haven't heard of parents, here are three good things about it. Number one, maximum kitsch. Last week, we talked about Serial Mom and John Waters' Maximum Maybe last camp. week. It really depends on how the schedule went. Stop that's, saying last week. <laughs> that's a real good point. Last time. Earlier this month. Previously on Nightmare on Film Street, we were talking about Maximum Camp. This week, uh, we're just as much off the rails talking about Maximum Kitsch. Uh, number two, Creepy Randy Quaid. Which is kind of a genre, which is itself. all Randy Quaid, even if unintentional. Right. Once you know, once you know about Randy Quaid, it's all creepy Randy I, Quaid. I definitely read his Wikipedia page before we started recording this. Uh, I knew about some of his legal troubles back in like 2010. Ah. They're still going. Oh, are they? <laughs> He's done some things. Does he still have none that of them make sense? Look, <laughs> none of them make sense. Like, did you know that they tried to seek asylum in in Vancouver? Love it. Like they they tried to cross the border and they were like, ah, oh, America wants to kill us. And Canada was like, no. This isn't exactly <laughs> what we use. Like, you're you're clearly not an asylum yeah. seeker. And then eventually they kicked them out of Canada. Um, so his wife is part Canadian, so she got citizenship. But he wasn't apparently checking in properly like a foreign citizen. They lived in Montreal for a while. Mm. And then they dropped down into Vermont. And then, uh, and then a bunch of their legal troubles caught up with them because, you know, they were avoiding the law for a while. <laughs> Go ahead and Google that if you want some additional extracurricular reading. Yeah, lots of weird petty fraud, avoiding hotel bills. Makes no sense, but, you know, some people like to... You know, keep their life a little spicy and have police after them. (laughs) Gotta shake it. I mean, hey, you haven't lived until you've been in a police chase, right? Number three, 
good thing about this movie, something near and dear to Kim's heart, cookbook porn. Yeah, there's a lot of Betty Crocker madness in this. I would say the whole the whole film in itself is like a recipe. For? Kitsch nightmares. <laughs> Got it. Right on. Well, parents, it's streaming on Tubi right now. It's essentially a story from the perspective of a child who thinks there's something up with his parents. It's almost like it would make a great double bill with something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Ooh. But uh, also, I don't know. Serial mom? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah, he starts to he starts to suspect that his parents are maybe eating people, uh, which I very much want to talk to you about because I think I I I still, despite seeing the murder a person on screen, <laughs> I still think it's up in the air as to whether or not they've killed a person. So we're gonna throw to the trailer, and when we come back, we're gonna get to the bottom of this suburban nightmare mystery. Bob Balaban's Kitch Nightmare returns after these messages. Coming soon, Randy Quaid, Mary Beth Hurt, Sandy Dennis, and director Bob Balaban bring you a fresh look at family life. The Lemley family is moving up in the world. Rise and shine! But something is eating at young Michael Lemley. You're not scared of your room, are you? Michael, the cellar's dark. Everything's dark at night. His parents think Michael's problem is in his head. <laughs> but Michael knows it's on his plate. What are we eating? Leftovers, honey. Leftovers from what? <laughs> from the refrigerator. We have leftovers every day since we moved here. I'd like to know what they were before they were leftovers. Before that, they were... Leftovers to be. There's a new name for terror. Parents. Bedtime. Bob Balaban's Parents. I almost said Kitchen Nightmares. <laughs> is currently sitting at a 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb, a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 3.3 out of 5 on Ladderboxd. Just goes to show, critics never get it when it hits the when it hits the movie theaters. You gotta wait twenty five years, like a cookbook porn recipe for suburban kitchen nightmares. You gotta put it on simmer, let it sit on the back burner for twenty five years, and and eventually it'll find its. Oh audience. yeah, this one is definitely one for the crock pot. Yeah. <laughs> So, and the era of the crockpot. Did we cover kitsch enough in the previous episode? Because I, I know it's going to come up a lot in the conversation. Like, have do 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 we think that people get kitsch? I have the definition open. Let's hear it. Although I don't know if I agree with some of the first. Didn't agree with the definition for camp. <laughs> it's totally fitting with the episode. You know, they get to it, though. They get to the point. So kitsch is a term applied to art and design that is perceived as naive imitation. Naive. Oh, yeah, I know, right? Sassy, overly eccentric, gratuitous, or of banal taste. Mm. Uh huh. So if it's in in a department store, 
it's kitsch. But if you take that exact same setup and put it at Burning Man, it's camp, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. <laughs> really, context is everything. Yes. In the first half of the 20th century, kitsch was used in reference to mass-produced pop cultural products that lacked the conceptual depth of fine art. Mm. However, since the emergence of pop art in the 1950s, kitsch has taken on a newfound highbrow appeal, often wielded in knowingly ironic, humorous, or earnest manners. This is the same definition for camp. Kitsch relates to camp as they both incorporate irony and extravagance. It's like when you see the censors define pornography. They're just like, oh, if uh, it's like it's like, you know it when you see it. I think the fun thing about kitsch is that we kind of mentioned this a little bit when in our discussion on camp, how like it's the peak of of kitsch and camp aesthetically, at least for me and how I see it is in that 1950s Jetsons era suburbia. Yeah, the G-Golly, PG, Pleasantville, the Pleasantville stuff. Well, you could say the Pleasantville, the Edward Scissorhands, the Jetsons, the Flintstones. Uh. Uh, so many of those trope nostalgia families are the epitome of kitsch. And I love the aesthetic of parents. I loved it in Serial Mom. Mm -hmm. It's such a great juxtaposition for setting a horror story. Oh, yeah. uh, That I would never get sick of it. You could release a kitschy horror comedy every year, and I'd be like, I love that 2.5 bedroom bungalow with the port cachere. Come on, A24, shift gears. (laughs) Start start giving us the white picket fence horror. I know. We got a little, little, little bit of it with Don't Worry Darling, but it was like, but not a. It wasn't kitschy enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the dresses were great, but oh yeah, the I mean Barbie movie. The Barbie movie is gonna give me an overdose. I'm very excited Definitely <laughs> because Barbie camp. was born in the 50s, so she is like maximum kitsch camp. Uh, and that's that's exactly what you what you get with a movie like Parents. Parents seems to be a little more like authentically kitsch because it's set in that time period. It's not trying to be super over the top like, oh, we're in the 90s, but it looks like the 50s. Mm-hmm. Like we're purely in the 50s. We've got teachers who have apples on their fucking desks. We've got uh, we've got wives that are basically, you know, waking up at four in the morning to look astonishing by the time their husbands are ready for their morning coffee. Oh, man, just watching them get ready to go to a dinner party, like a casual dinner party with friends, is exhausting. Oh, I was like, it's so great, right? No, no, it's, <laughs> it's great. I love looking at it. I could not live in that era. Like, just to eat Chex Mix with marshmallows in it and, and, and play and, cards. But then also pretend like it's the greatest thing you've ever seen. Like, oh, my God, where did you get the recipe for well, this? Well, that's just being a good guest. I know. I know. I, that's actually, that scene's great because it has one of my favorite lines in the movie where the daughter of the friends that they're visiting and the, the, leads, the lead kid, Randy Quaid and Mary Beth Hurt's son, uh, they're, 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 they're spying in on their parents and she says that, well, he's saying like, what's happening to them? Because obviously they're acting different. They're getting drunk. Uh, and the little girl says like, they're changing. It happens when you get older. I, I that That's... My favorite stuff in this movie is just seeing kids look at their parents suspiciously. Yeah, the kid perspective is really nailed in this film. When I was watching it, I was I was thinking to myself, this is definitely R.L. Stein's favorite horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, because he had so many of those stories, you know, like, don't go in the basement and stuff like that. Oh, with... yeah, it's always like what your parents are up to when you're exactly. not supposed to be around. Like, Dad was growing, like, a weird jungle of evil down there. <laughs> yeah, and he's going to feed you to it, obviously. Yeah, it, it's so great, too, because we, we briefly listened to an interview with Bob Balaban before we started recording and 
he kind of made this really great point about how, like, as a kid, you don't really know your parents. Like, yeah. You're given this, like, sh- especially when you're younger, younger, you're getting, like, a sugar-coated version of them. Like, mm-hmm. You only see them between, you know, 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. You're in school. You, you're, Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, your parents aren't, especially nowadays when both your parents are normally working. Like, I wouldn't see my parents until, like, 5.30, 6 o'clock. And then... You'd hang out with them through dinner, I guess, and then yeah. you'd watch, you know, some a TV show if you all watched it together, and then boop, bedtime, and you wouldn't know them until the summer. <laughs> yeah, until yeah, it's also an era of uh, parents not bending over backwards for their kids. Like nowadays, there's a lot of just like, oh, it's us, we're a family, we're together. What? Do- I mean, you we- assume that, but like, we're getting a lot of because we're not parents ourselves, we don't have our own like you know family circle so we're getting a lot of what i guess instagram and is being you know sold to us as what that's, families look like that, today that's true but mommy blogger is it i would assume i would assume that's an overzealous version of what parenting is actually like today but yeah there's a nugget of truth in it somewhere i mean i'm, also, definitely... I'm also basing my 1950s parenting off movies Nin- and tv oh, as well <laughs> i thought you're like i'm basing my 1950s parenting off of my 1990s parenting <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean it seems it seems like uh the the 1950s parent was a little bit more removed they were like they were like we're having friends over you go away. Make scarce. <laughs> yeah. Make scarce. I like that. Yeah. It's like the last era of the children should be seen and not heard mentality. It's like the parents don't want the kids around, like until they're 18. Yeah. And you kind of get a vibe, and particularly from Randy Quaid, because he's serving this very hard to read, definitely maybe a sociopath like line delivery with all of his conversations with his son. You're looking so desperately at him to get something from him. And what you get is that he doesn't like his son. Yeah, uh, definitely. But don't. But it's it's so ambiguous. He is so hard to read. Uh Uh-huh. Don't don't you remember as a kid have like not being happy with the way adults talked to you? Like you can tell that they're softening the edges on it. Hey, hey, champ, how are you? And it's just like I I see that you talk to adults and even people just a little bit older than me, way different than you're talking to me right now. And something like it's I don't know why you're doing it, but it rings so false that it makes you feel like your parents are aliens. Yeah, well, and so this is an experience that I don't know if you would have had as much of because you were the oldest. So I feel like you got let in a little earlier. And I had those. Cool John Waters parents. But growing up as the youngest in a family with a pretty big age gap between the kids, my brother is 12 years older than me, I felt very, not excluded, but like let out of the adult club. Like I felt very outside of it. Mm. And I took it very personally that I wasn't (laughs) included. You know what I mean? Like I really wanted to like hang out with the cool kids and I didn't want to go to bed at 8 p.m. And like everybody else gets to stay up. But they were like, Kim, go to bed. We're watching Jaws. And I'm like, I want to fucking watch Jaws. (laughs) You you sound like a little Joe Pesci. (laughs) Hey, give me Jaws, see? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, like I I definitely don't necessarily have that. Yeah, because having been, I mean, like I only ever felt that way. It's given me a complex, so you should be very happy. I I feel very slighted when I'm excluded from things. Okay, yeah. Very internally slighted. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't have that. (laughs) (laughs) But I would say that the kid in the movie definitely does. Being an only child can't help. 
but there is like a world that he's beginning to understand, or at least he's a world that he's seeing that he doesn't quite understand that his brain is trying to make sense of. Yeah, and I think he's seeing it for the first time. I think this is the he's at an age in his life where he's finally starting to think like, who are these people I live with? Yeah, and at no point does he ever get any evidence that they are people he wants to hang out with. Well, and and how you were saying you're not really entirely sure if they are actually cannibals. Yes, is because he is such an imaginative little boy. I think he's just grossed out by like a few meals that they cook, and they're like, "Oh, this is so good! Oh, it's so great!" And he's just like, "I'm not nuts about." I this. have to say, watching this film as a, a vegan person who hasn't eaten or been nearly around meat in a while uh-huh. it was it was very gross <laughs> well, I, th- I think they're good they're taking steps to make it look gross yeah like, this is the, a very the... meat forward family <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean like those it's also the betty crocker cookbook where it's just like just fucking boil it until it's done and throw it on a bed of lettuce yeah and i mean back then roasts were like it was just like slow cook it until it you know it's gray and falls off yeah. of whatever it was cooked on mix an egg into it <laughs> Yeah, breadcrumbs, you're done. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Have a cigarette, a glass of wine, better vacuum the house before they come back <laughs> home. Serve it with mom's macaroni salad and chilla pudding. Yeah, I mean, like, the reason people love watching Hannibal, the show, is because it felt like watching the Food Network. Like, yes, he's supposed to be cooking a person, but it looks delicious. You know, like, it looks like something you would genuinely pay for. In this movie, it's not really appealing. Even the stuff that they do a good job cooking is not great. And they have these eyes when they look at it, like, oh, yeah, we're gonna eat that fucking meat. No, it's gonna be so good. Yeah, and there's a lot of mincing, there's a lot of pounding. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't know, I, I really, really, really don't know if they are actually cannibals. Now, let's forget about the last 15 minutes of the movie, just for for a minute while uh-huh. we talk. Wiped. It's probably just that he walked in on his parents having sex in the living room. Yeah. Her lipstick, his mom's lipstick, was smeared all over the both of them, and he doesn't know what they're doing. They're sweaty. Yeah. There's something very primal about it. Yeah, they look like they were really going at it. <laughs> Why the living room? I don't know, it's hot. Did they take yeah. the plastic off the couch and lay it on the well, floor? They, I don't know if you noticed, <laughs> they did actually put bed sheets down on the carpet. I mean, that's kind of fun. Like, they were having a little camp out. <laughs> Like oh, the little shitheads in bed. Sexy camp out. (laughs) Love it, and he keeps he just keeps uh, turning that memory over in his head, uh, trying to figure out what they were doing. Like he's years off from figuring out what they were doing, but uh, they really single in on the kissing and the smearing of lipstick and then that slowly morphs into like biting and then now it's all blood everywhere and he like the more that he revisits that memory the grosser it gets and the best he can come up with is that they're eating people in the living room yeah and that's that's just how i think most of the movie goes but i think that's just kids like kids brains they're growing they're trying to fill in the blanks of things that they don't know mm-hmm. and he's like it's also at an age where they're you didn't have any blanks because you were just like, "Woo, playing is fun." Yeah. I'm my stomach is hungry, uh, and that, my that was, stomach <laughs> is hungry. That's all you worried about was those two things. I love that you <laughs> you have separated yourself from your stomach, like it's a tiny little muppet that lives inside you. Oh it's no, like... <laughs> I have to go inside now. <laughs> so it's like at uh, at one moment in your life, and I'm going to say around the age of anywhere between like nine and eleven, where all of a sudden questions have formed. Yeah. 
so you you're immediately filling all those those questions with absurd and wild and crazy answers and yeah. this is um this is one of those like all synapses are firing and this is the best most true thing this child could come up with was that his parents are evil and eating people that his his dad finds at Toxico Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue all in the Kroger app Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for 1.29 each then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for 2.49 a pound all with your card and a digital coupon Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yeah, so there, so here here's here are the other details that we should probably color in. Like his dad works at Toxico. Love he it. Works with chemicals. Really unsure what he actually does. Whatever it is, it's terrible for the environment. Yeah, I, oh man, they're so proud of it though. Like the one day that he brings his kid to work, uh, he's just like, "Yep, we developed this toxin that'll in a in an afternoon will turn a whole fucking jungle into mulch." Yeah, it's like that's not something to be proud of. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, like that's right. We just drop a few of these babies, and Bing Bam, we've ruined the world. <laughs> what rainforest? But then there's also scenes where we we see him visiting like a morgue where they've got all these people that they, they can just use for parts. Like, oh yeah, give me a hundred grams of liver. <laughs> it's like he's putting it in the an order. The order is great. It's great. And I, I guess he's using that for some sort of test uh, with some, like to see how uh, biomaterial is going to react to whatever this new chemical is. Yeah, I mean, is. they're probably testing it for like if it's carcinogenic or whatever. Yeah. You know, going to grow you an extra DNA chain. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's also the problem of the son finding a foot, like a whole ass leg in the basement, uh, bringing the, the, the social worker from school home, uh, explaining to her what his nightmares look like. Where she finds a dead body. They kill that woman in the kitchen. Like this, but this could maybe all be part of his imagination still. Because mm-hmm. that murder sequence is is a little strange. Like there's not a whole lot of screaming going on, and like the way that she's acting almost seems false. Like it's not how you would react to somebody attacking you. She's very muted in a weird way. Yeah. And also the body like falls in the window trapping of the basement and you're yeah. just like where was that body? It was in the yeah, like it, I think <laughs> it was just in the window well and and uh, it just flopped over like they would not would they hide a body like that? I'm not sure. And but but then on top of that, after they've clearly killed a woman and barbecued her up, they're talking to their son about how he's an outsider and we're outsiders and we could move to we could move again and go to the forest somewhere remote, but we'd have to live close to a to a an interstate to get the accident to get the dead bodies from the accidents and stuff. So it it really does seem like at the end of the movie it tries to to really underline the fact that yes they are cannibals. So we're also really stylized in that moment because how it's shot they're on almost like a spinning carousel Yo. and the background is constantly moving behind them. So there's something askew about the the entire visual component of that scene uh-huh. so we could be more in his head and these are things he's interpreting them saying to him the ending of the film could be entirely from the son's perspective you think this little boy went crazy that- oh absolutely he stabs his parents yeah and then lights them on fire <laughs> you're saying that like he's a little psychopath like he stabbed his, fa- his father kind of in self-defense uh he didn't want to eat dinner <laughs> 
but then dad went off the handle uh or dad flew off the handle and 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 killed uh tried to kill him kills his mother in the process she stabbed him mom's a few times. behavior in that is interesting and in how she tries to protect the son yeah after the dad has stabbed him so I, I feel like the actions that are happening in that dinner scene are there but the words he's hearing aren't the words they're saying oh you really you think that it's just like a domestic dispute there's a domestic double murder <laughs> that, no, that I he think, filtered the- i think his parents were talking to him Maybe you know about like all the weird drawings he's been doing or something along those lines. And he stabs dad because he tries to make him eat. Sure. Then and then it becomes this physical altercation. She where becomes worried for mom's her son. trying to step in. And okay. then, you know, dad gets stabbed. She gets stabbed. Everybody gets stabbed. The gas line breaks. Uh, family dinners. Right? <laughs> I love that you mentioned how askew everything looked at the end of the movie, because like that's that's like the real nugget of gold in this is the cinematography. I mean, there's so many fun visual bits and tidbits in this movie. And a lot of it, like you're like, okay, this is experimenting. This is his first feature film. He wants to like, there's all these shots that he's wanted to do and he's just going to do them all in this first movie. And I love it. Goes for broke. And I feel like this is a good movie to do that kind of experimenting because you're playing with an unreliable narrator. Potentially there's a lot of nightmare sequences from the perspective of a child. There's a lot here to play with. Mm -hmm. All of them are standouts. Right? If there was a concise way to, to say it, I would have put it in the three good things. But like I hate saying like the cinematography's great. There's some great shots. But there's <laughs> when when that social worker discovers that dead body, she screams and the camera goes back from her open mouth across the basement into the into the you know pe- drainage pipe. Is it the drainage pipe? I don't know. It goes through a grate, which is fucking cool. Yeah, it goes through a grate into I think the air duct which travels up the house through his bedroom, up the attic, out the out an exhaust pipe for some of the plumbing and then that's where we see that mom or dad has come home. It looks incredible. Uh and that's just one shot of of a ton of great shit. Um, There's a really great dioptic shot that is actually a great dioptic shot and not just, oh, look, it's a dioptic shot. How like, great. Like, oh, <laughs> yay, you're focusing on two things, but half the screen is just fucking fuzz oh, right now. Oh, man, I hate that middle blur. <laughs> this one is actually cut by the fireplace. It looks very, very nice. Yeah, even even Brian De Palma is guilty of doing that. You know, it I mean, he's done maybe the look... most good dioptic shots, but that isn't to say he hasn't done some bad ones. Very true. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a it's a visual feast, you know, in, in line with the rest of the movie. And yeah, it's on Tubi right now. You got to watch it. It's like eighty minutes. There's another thing. Like, oh boy, it could have been. It could have been two hours long, and that would have fucking sucked. I think that would have been too much for how the film is because it, a lot of it is visual nightmare. Yeah, drawing it out. Like, I think my parents are cannibals. There's not a whole lot of plot there. Yeah. So. I think being concise as a film is was a smart move. Yeah, there are it does it it does feel a little slow sometimes cuz there isn't a whole lot there other than I think my parents are cannibals and the social worker is going to help me find out whether or not that's true maybe. But it was interesting too just seeing him have to interact with another adult. There's a very short scene in the middle when he's first meeting her and he sees her like digging rooting through her like bohemian hobo bag yes. and he's like you're not a real adult. Yeah. <laughs> because his only interaction with adults have been these like tightly wound 1950s upstanding specimens and she's like this you know social sciences artistic woman with crazy hair who smokes in the office yeah and so like this for him is probably weirder than seeing his cannibal parents yeah you're probably right about that that's true yeah i really like that scene for some reason it's such a small detail Mm -hmm. but it's something that you would really hang on to as a kid yeah no everybody is presenting 
a reality that they want you to believe. And she's just like, where the fuck are my goddamn cigarettes? And it's so funny because even in that scene, I was just like, this bag is impractical. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I want to know, I want you to go back to your kid brain. Yeah. Your 11-year-old bearded John DeHaan. Uh (laughs) Stubble at that time. Uh, What was your, like, what were... Give me an irrational fear you had. What, like, what was a weird thing that you either believed or were afraid of or had pondered? Okay. Uh, like what When you were watching Parents, surely there was a moment that you were just like, oh, this I can relate to this feeling. I think it might be a similar scene that you would relate to, and it was definitely younger than 11. Come on. <laughs> Whatever. It was just- 11, I was, in the, I was on the internet watching people die. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and we were all be- worse for it. We all we all grew up. We all did it. Here we are. We're all fucked. Scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it's a scene where he has turned out the light for bed and doesn't want to walk across. It's like he, there, there, there isn't like a lot of thought process in it. Like we don't, we don't see him considering walking to the bed and maybe having something grab his feet as he gets to the bed. But there was... A few minutes ago, a conversation about being scared of something under your bed. And so he turns the light out and then dives from the light switch into his bed, which is another great visual moment because the the he sinks through the bed into a pool of blood, disappears, and then the camera pulls up and he's swishing his hand through like, I don't know. A tomato sauce. Of, yeah. yeah, tomato sauce or jelly or something that his mom's working with. It's an incredible transition. But like, yeah, no, I, I do. I think, I think I've actually talked about it in this podcast because I would read scary books in bed yeah. and then you'd have to get up Honestly, to Honestly, a universal off. experience. Yeah. When, like, try- I think I rearranged my room at one point so that, that my bed was right under my light switch. Nice move. Yeah, like, yeah. why didn't we all just bring sticks in? Just, just to, like, <laughs> just, just a reaching stick. To this is my monster stick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that to, to hit monsters with? Nah, it's just to get the light switch. <laughs> Man, I fucking, yeah, I hated that. Yeah, see, I had the belief in my, like, nighttime scared of monsters under the bed that as long as my feet were tucked under the blankets, Uh nothing would get me. That's great. And it did not matter how fucking hot and sweaty I got. Like, I would MacGyver my blankets so that they weren't on anything but my feet. But as long as the monster could not see my feet at the edge of my bed, it would not know I was there sleeping and ripe to be eaten. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. That's, That's why you're still alive today. It's true. Yeah. It was after watching... Uh, it. Oh yeah. yeah I there yeah. was a definitive monster I was afraid of, and it was Tim Curry as Pennywise the Clown. I can't. Uh, I can't really think of another one. I'm sure something else will come to mind, but that was definitely the moment in the movie that that resonated with me the most. I have another really weird one that I. I oh, I want to hear it. I, I I'm not sure if I've told you this before, but if I haven't, this is gonna. I'm def- We're definitely gonna get a really weird reaction from you because it is absurd. Okay. And this is like long standing. This isn't like I had a week long. You know, this was a weird thing that I believed. But so this was until 17. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so growing up, my dad was very like a stoic kind of quiet guy. He had his fun moments. Like he liked to play board games and play outside and stuff. But he was definitely like not moody, but you had to catch him in a mood for him to be playful. Otherwise, he was like quiet and like occupied. He was either like on the computer or on the TV. And he was very hard to read because he was so stoic. I, I'm not trying to derail you here, but like Randy Quaid does a great job of that in this movie. He does do a great job. There is a particular dinner sequence where you're like, he's just kind of mad tonight and there's no real reason for it. Mm-hmm. And like as a kid, you definitely don't get you, that reason. You're like, dad, yeah, dad's you just never a find out. Yeah. And you're just like, ooh, gotta be like, gotta tiptoe, gotta be careful. And for some reason, I, <laughs> I don't know how I got in my head, but I was like, okay, 
I think my dad can read minds. Oh, yes, you've told me this. <laughs> so did you think he could read other people's minds or just yours? I don't think it mattered whether he could read other people's minds. But the minds. point is he could read yours, the so it was all is over. he could read my mind. Okay. And so I was always, like, very careful around my dad because, like, especially when he was in a mood, like, I didn't want my, like, wild, crazy, loud mind yeah. to be annoying or, or or to think something that would get me in trouble uh-huh. um so i was very very careful <laughs> around my dad this is like that episode of treehouse of horrors where you gotta think happy thoughts around the boy but also like as i like as this kind of became more of a thing that i believed in and it became this like more long-standing thing i would start to like challenge it <laughs> <laughs> You're having psychic battles with your dad? So I would start, like, thinking things, like, asking questions, and then just seeing if, like, you know, in the next few hours he would answer that question. Just, like, drop the answer. You know what I mean? So when you say ask, you mean in your mind? In my mind. Okay. And did he? (laughs) Or I would think... So the thing is, is, like, it was so weirdly ambiguous and vague that I was like, he's... He's on to me. You literally <laughs> gave yourself like a horoscope or a tarot reading. Like you, like giving yourself something vague is the worst thing you can do. <laughs> you had to be hyper specific. Yeah, but there were so many levels to it because if he didn't answer, it was because he knew that if he answered the question that I had only asked in my mind, that I would that I would have confirmation. You fucking gaslit yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I really did, and I definitely believed it for like I would say at least two solid years. I believed my dad. <laughs> My dad could read mine. What age? What ages? I don't know. Young. It was before we moved into our new house, so I was under the age of 12. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so still a, still a child. But old enough to have logic and reason and try to foil my magical dad but also old into enough to revealing know- <laughs> his, his supernatural powers. <laughs> Oh, I got the problem there though is you were also old enough to know that it would be a very embarrassing question if you, if you ever asked, asked it out loud. He wouldn't tell me the truth. I love it. Like, you wouldn't just ask somebody else, like, hey, can can dad read your minds too? You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what? what? <laughs> like your brother and sister are just like, what the fuck did you just say? I think it's probably because I didn't really get away with anything when I was a kid. And so I thought there oh. was like an extra level of perception involved. You just, you you couldn't calculate like, the fact surely. that they had already had two kids and they knew exactly everything yeah. you were going to do. Like, surely I can pull the wool over their eyes. Man, my, this is complete. this is not related. It, not Nothing similar at all to what you were saying. But like, I do remember one time, like I did something stupid like I tried to light something on fire and it clearly melted and I was like oh shit like I was just I was just <laughs> playing with a lighter and I re- I melted something I was like fuck and then my parents obviously noticed and then they interrogated my brother and I they put us in separate rooms and my, oh my god <laughs> I, I fucking caved so quick because my dad pulled out like the genius parent mover he's just like your brother already told me you did it and I was like what how does he know <laughs> Because I had done it myself. He hits a single light bulb hanging from the (laughs) ceiling, and he's like, fess up. Yeah, I caved real quick. (laughs) They got me. She's already taken a deal. (laughs) Yeah, like it was like, I I got prisoner dilemma. You're going to get 20 to life if you don't talk now, and the ashes into your coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Man, the funny thing, too, is I remember after that, because he just fucking grinned and smirked and laughed, and I was like, he fucking got me. Like I knew, I I, I figured See, out the entire. I would have got from that dad psychic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I just didn't make the leap to supernatural <laughs> abilities. Oh boy. So Kim, uh, what do you? How do you rate Parents by Bob Balaban? Uh, I really like this movie. 
it was it was gross at times. Uh-huh. It was the grossest of times. It was the blurst of times. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give it a three and a half out of four. Wow. Yeah, I really liked it. That's I, great. I, 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 you know this about me. The the kitsch bump, John. The kitsch bumps. The kitsch bump's definitely there. I really like Mary Beth Hurst. Uh, Mary Beth Hurt, uh, who who plays mom, also plays mom in in uh, my boyfriend's back. She's just got such a great look. Um, she's in a ton of movies that we've seen. I do think that this movie's missing something. Like it doesn't do enough, but like, goddamn, does it look great? It's a kick-ass first feature. It also um, feels very Canadian. I don't know if you got that vibe. Also, it's it's the YTV of it all, and like the Christmas story of it all. Like mm. it felt like a, a Canadian suburb. It was shot in Toronto. Yeah. I mean, you've probably walked near. Those I was houses. thinking it might be my grandma's neighborhood because it was all bungalows like that. Interesting. Yeah, and it was probably built around that time because hmm. I think it was built in 1958. The exterior set or something. I think that's what they were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. I I I'll give parents. A three out of four. You just wanted more like hands in the gerberator and stuff. Oh man, how did we fucking forget I know. about that? And the blood from the fridge. Yeah. Just pulling off the top of the fridge. That was good. That little boy. If he doesn't grow up to be a writer. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, like, he just he did such a great job. I mean, pff, I don't know. I haven't seen the bloopers. Maybe he had, was in the corner shaking after every take. But like, he seemed completely unfazed by some stuff that looked like it would fuck any child up. Like you can you can work around some weirder things, but there are actual scenes of him in the shot with a hand coming out of the gerberator, like frantically like trying to find an escape, and then blood everywhere. Like it's. It's really, it's a great nightmare sequence, and I'd, I'd be incredibly surprised to find out that he didn't have personal nightmares from that moment. <laughs> but I guess, you know, like, it's movie making, right? Like, right before they called action, there was a guy underneath the sink who was like, hey, how's it going, kid? Don't worry, this is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> you know? Great visuals. Yeah, three out of four from me. Three and a half out of four from Kim. That was a huge surprise. But uh, what a great, kitschy little nightmare. Let us know what you thought of Bob Balaban's parents over on Twitter uh, at NOFS Podcast, if you're still on Twitter, or in more preferably in the Nightmare and Film Street Discord at nofspodcast.com slash discord. Also, we want to know all of the weird shit you believed or Most were afraid in- of yeah. when you were like the weirdest thing you held to be true when you were a child. I want to know. Hopefully, it's weirder than me thinking my dad was psychic for two years. Uh- <laughs> I mean, hey. If your parents actually were cannibals when you were younger, let us know. The statute of limitations definitely doesn't expire on that. And while you're at it, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. It really helps us grow the show. It's a quick, easy, free way to support the show. But if you want some bonus content, if you want more Nightmare, you can head over to nofspodcast.com slash club to get hours of bonus content and access to the watch parties that we host. And if you want to just support us for, you know, like one time, throw us a little bit of support. You can grab a Nightmare on Film Street t-shirt or a spooky horror shirt that we've designed at store.nofspodcast.com. There, there's like over 100 over there. So if you haven't checked out our store in a while, head over. Uh, there's tons of spooky stuff there. Yeah, it's t-shirt season. You got you to gotta let the neighborhood know what weird horror movies you've been watching when you're walking your dog. Get yourself a new horror shirt. Kitch Nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep an eye out for that one. I got a pretty good feeling it's actually going to happen. I'm making it. But either way, that's that's it for us this week. We'll be back again next Thursday. But until then, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay, Stay creepy. creepy. And don't trust your parents. Or do. Be mindful of the fact that your parents might be cannibals. Walk on eggshells around your parents, kids. It appears you made it out alive. 
but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.